Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. So, we're back in Song of Solomon, chapter 4. You were warned, right? You were warned last week. Good? Okay. <clears throat> Let me pray before we get out of hand. God, we love you and we thank you for everything you've done for us. We ask that you will speak to our hearts here today that you will allow us to let go of <clears throat> let go of the pain and the hurt and um, and get a new vision and a new mindset for our marriages uh, here today it's in Jesus name we pray amen I was at church camp all week this week uh, this this last week and um, so I'm a little I'm a little hoarse from hollering and screaming and, and, uh, and all kinds of stuff. So it was good. Um, Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, chapter 4. Uh, let me read a couple verses and then I want to say just a couple, a couple things before we get rolling. Oh, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Descending from Mount Gilead, your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin, not one of them is alone. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like halves of pomegranate. Sounds nice, you know, minus the goat part, you know. <laughs> Anytime you talk about marriage, <clears throat> excuse me. Anytime you talk about marriage um, in a setting like this and you talk about the husband-wife uh, physical relationship, a couple of things happen. For some of us, it gets very awkward. For some of us, we're way too comfortable talking about that. Some of us have carried over baggage from other relationships and other places that has haunted us for a long, long time. A lot of times we bring this stuff in and you begin to talk about it and we begin to feel like we have messed something up already. We've screwed something up and so we are, we are uh, not worthy. Or we feel like we get excluded, like we're talking about certain people who are very, very special and have been able to do things right. Can I say that's not a real thing? Okay, do you know that? In the words of Tommy Nelson, um, preacher down in Texas, our Savior was a carpenter. He has always been a carpenter. He does not sneer at our pain and our brokenness. What he does is he jumps at the opportunity to hop in and fix it. So as we talk about this stuff, if this brings up pain for you, listen, your Savior is a carpenter. He makes repairs. He puts it back how it was intended to be. 
So don't feel like you're beat up by this. Don't feel like it's, um, uh, you're in a bad place, you're in a broken place. We are all on a, on a journey. We're all on a process. We are all, uh, none of us are going to hit perfection, but I'll tell you what we can do today is we can make progress today. We might not knock it out of the park, but we can increase our average, right? We can get better as we move on. Um, that, that perfection thing is not a real thing. Jesus has it, and if you were him, you wouldn't be here, all right? So that's not us. We're working our way there. So don't, don't get disappointed in yourself as we talk about all this information, all right? <clears throat> I want to begin with verse 1 through 4. Listen to this guy. Now, if you remember, last week we talked about their wedding. Chapter 3 was their wedding. And they talked about all of the, what the wedding looked like, 60 groomsmen, all of them prepared with the, and, and uh, battle ready with the sword. They're strong men. They talked about, she said, here he comes um, like a cloud. And we talked about how that connects to God and the Israelites as they were coming out of Egypt. And then... We got on down further, and it says, verse 11, Come out, you daughters of Zion, <clears throat> excuse me, and look at King Solomon, wearing the crown, the crown uh, uh, with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day his heart rejoiced. This is now the honeymoon. Chapter 4, this is the honeymoon. They are alone. They are by themselves. They are at the Super 8, maybe the Crossroads. It's not the crossroads anymore, is it? They are on a honeymoon, all right? He speaks. Oh, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your temples behind your veil like halves of pomegranate. Your neck is like the tower of David. And he starts here and begins to work his way down slowly. This is interesting to me. Our culture exploits body, specifically female body, exploits it. But it's very, very rare that you will hear somebody talk, in, well, until you get older, talk about the neck of a woman. It's very rare. That is, this is not even a, oh, women have necks? Oh, who knew? Why? Because that's not a thing that we focus on. Oh, temples? When is the last time you looked at your wife and you said, wow, you got great temples? T temples? Dimples? No, temples. It's one thing to see somebody for the first time and be like, wow, it's great hair. It's another thing to be married to somebody, to date somebody, to, wow, your hair looks great, just all the time. Solomon does not start with any other part of the female body. He starts with the top of her head, he begins to work his way down. Solomon's a gentleman. This verse in verse 4 your neck is like the Tower of David, built with elegance. If you're following along in verse 4, 
built with elegance. So there's some discrepancy here on what this means. Like the Tower of David, it says. Your neck is like the Tower of David. Well, that kind of gets weird too, doesn't it? So she's a, a horse face with a big giraffe neck, remember? Like this is, this is what we're supposed to think? Because earlier in the book it says, you know, you remind me of Pharaoh's, um, Pharaoh's mare. And now here we are. Now you've got this neck that's like a tower. We've got to understand that in our culture, here's what we do. We go, oh, that looks like that. Those look like those. This looks like that. He looks like her. She looks like her. This is the way we do things. Like we see things in, oh, this reminds me of this. They don't do that. The Hebrews look at it and they go, its purpose is like this. Your neck, your neck is like the Tower of David. My neck is like a Tower of David. One uh, Bible commentator says, the Tower of David is what housed all of David's mighty men, the special forces troop of Israel's army. Your neck is fit only for the mightiest of men. That's, a, that's decent. Here's the other one. The other interpretation is this. Your neck is a model for architects to follow from this point forward to build a thing of beauty. You see, love is not a thing that we just instantly notice things about somebody or our spouse that we love. It's very, very easy. I don't know how long you've been married, but it's very, very easy to get in that place to where you stop noticing the things about somebody that you love. It's easy to stop noticing them. We get busy with our lives, get busy with our selfishness, we grow resentful, and then we just kind of push off and we stop digging in and noticing things. Solomon starts at the top and works his way down. Listen, let's be honest. That, those are not the highlights on the honeymoon. Temples and neck, it's not the highlight of the honeymoon. Solomon takes his time to say, I'm just going to dig in deeper and I'm going to notice some things about you that maybe I have not noticed before. Challenge number one for the week for you, whether you want it or not, here's your challenge, all right? Notice and compliment something new about your spouse, something you may have been overlooking for years. This may require you to dig a little. Well, but Jared, if I have to work really hard to find something about my spouse to compliment, wouldn't that suggest that maybe I don't love them? No, that would suggest that maybe you're lazy. If you choose to just stop looking and stop digging and stop investing, then that would just choose, I mean, that would just suggest that maybe you're lazy um, and that doesn't really have anything to do with being in love or not in love. Like either you're going to continue to appreciate things that you notice and maybe even notice things that you appreciate or maybe even invest and check this one out, young lovers, uh, married lovers. There's also the opportunity to investigate further to notice things about one another that maybe you have not noticed. That's also a good opportunity. So your challenge on the week, find and compliment, okay? Search and rescue, find and compliment something about your spouse you have not noticed before. Listen, if ladies, look, 
If they come home with temples or neck, call me, I'll call them, and we'll, we'll take them to the rack. That's weak, 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 and it's already been used, all right? No copy and answers, weirdos. You want to hold a meeting and talk about it all together? Like, that's fine. You can do that. But no temples, no neck, all right? None of the easy ones either, all right? So, that's yours. Listen to this, verse 5. Your two breasts are like two fawns, like, a, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies until the day breaks. Um, two things to notice, the gentility. His words in the gentility. I was coming back from uh, Missouri on uh, Thursday night. And deer everywhere. Everywhere. And these things are just, they just pounce right across the road. And they just stand out there. They're small. They're young. They're just innocent. The perfect He says, innocent, perfect, twin fawns of a gazelle. He's gentle. But also notice this, the passion. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee. What time of day is that? Come on now. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Morning. Very, very good. Does a honeymoon typically start in the morning? No, it typically starts at night. His gentility and his passion. But this is an all-night event. Yeah, but Jared, i got to work tomorrow. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about Solomon. I'm not talking about you. What I'm saying, though, is this. Is that they can go together. The gentility and the passion. They can go together. Solomon is a gentleman, and he takes his time. And he is not even tending to her physically. He's talking to her heart at this point. Um, verse 6, until the day breaks, he takes his time. Verse 7, notice his words. This is a very great verse. This is a great verse. All beautiful you are, my darling. There is no flaw in you. There is no flaw in you. Verse 8. This is very interesting. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amana, from the top of Sinar, the summit of Hermon, from the lion's dens, and the mountain haunts of the leopards. Guys, I don't know if you know this or not. Maybe you do. Maybe you've had some of these conversations. Katie and I had not. We first got married, and we're sitting down and we're talking, and I became very open about um, a part of my life from a long time ago as a kid, and I expressed it to her in full confidence of just, I trust you, and I want you to know this is where, this is where I'm at, this is what happened to me, and I just want just to tell you about it. And I was embarrassed because... This wasn't information that I really wanted to share anywhere else. But I shared it with her. And then she turned and she looked at me and she said, the same thing happened to me. And I said, really? She said, yeah. And we began to talk through the stories back and forth. 
But what we realized at that point is that we both came in with some really weird baggage. We didn't even know. There weren't stuff that we were... We're trying to put our best foot forward early in the relationship. I want her to think that I am an enormous stud. I've got it all together, and nothing but good things has ever happened to me in my life. And I've been perfect while she wasn't looking. You know? This is what I want to put off. But then as we get to talk and we get to share feelings and emotions, all of a sudden we realize I have married damaged goods. She has married damaged goods. You have probably married damaged goods. Your spouse has probably married damaged goods. And if you are single, guess what? You're probably going to marry damaged goods. And so as you begin to talk and you, and you visit about these things, there's these conversations that you begin to open up and you share uh, openly with one another. And you learn about each other. What Solomon is saying here is come with me from Lebanon. Come with me from Amana. Come with me from the summit of Mount Hermon. All of these are mountaintops covered in snow, covered in clouds, covered in ice. Come with me from the cold, isolated parts of where you've lived before. The lonely, desolate places to where you could barely survive Come down from there and be with me. And what Solomon is doing is he's calling her from her pain, calling her from her life, and he's saying, I want you to come and join me here. Ladies, young ladies, young ladies, listen close. If this man or boy, let's just say boy at this point, okay? You'll need to prove himself before we'll call him a man. If this boy who likes you shows up and he's got all the right compliments and he's starting with not your hair, right? Not your temples. Um, we probably better question what's going on inside his head. Also, if he is pushing in a direction and he is not pulling you from a place, if he's pushing you to a place, but he's not pulling you from a place, he's wrong and you are wrong for hanging around with him and you should boot him out the door, all right? Call me and some of the young dads around here. We'll happily help handle that situation for you. Happily help handle that situation. If he is pushing you to a place and he's not calling you from a place, he's wrong. He's wrong. You with me? Moms and dads, pound that one at home, all right? Drive that one into the minds of your young ones, especially your boys. If they come knocking on my door, me and you will have a talk too, all right? Verse 9. Beautiful verse. You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. This is cool. This is a very, 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 very cool verse. Very cool verse. Job uh, 11, I think I wrote it down. Job 11, 12 says this. You'll love it. An idiot can no more be made wise than a wild donkey can be, be, can be born of a human. An idiot can no more be made wise than a donkey can be born of a human. Ron White said it best, I believe. Right? You cannot fix stupid. It's stuck. Book of Job says the same thing. You cannot, the word is unheart. You cannot unheart an idiot. 
You cannot reach into the inside of an idiot, into a fool, somebody who's hell-bent on destruction, and pull from them all of their negative ways and then hope that they're going to be better. I mean, unless you also believe that a human can give birth to a donkey. You cannot unheart. So the word is unheart. What Solomon says to his bride is, you have unhearted me. You have reached in and you have pulled out my heart with one glance from your eyes. You have unhearted me. Do you know what this is? This is Solomon showing his weakest self. You know what I love about, you know what I love about um, having conversations about marriage? Is that guys always put off such a strong front, such a strong front. And then there's these moments behind closed doors to where they're just like, <sighs> so weak. Because look, here, at the end of the day, this is, this is just, this is, this is real. If we were all in the fifth grade again or the fourth grade again, we would all be making fun of each other because you got a girlfriend and you like girls. Because when you're young and you're a young boy, if you like girls, you are such a weirdo. Don't like girls. Girls are gross. But you grew up and what'd you do? You liked girls. And you know you're caught too, right? You're hung up. And you can say all day long, no, like I'm independent. You're an idiot. You're not even close to independent. Like she has got you. He says, I am unhearted by her. One glance of her eye and I am unhearted. This is, a, this is really cool. Because the next part is this. With one jewel from your necklace. That's a bad translation. It's a bad translation. The Hebrew is something along the lines of one chain from your neck. It's a play on words that refer back to like a camel bridle that goes around the neck. I am unhearted by the one glance of you, and you have shackled me down. This is Solomon we're talking about. King Solomon. 700 wives, or 300 wives and 700 concubines, King Solomon. Richest man in the world, King Solomon. Wisest man in the world, King Solomon. He's completely unstoppable. He does whatever he wants to do. But inside of this room with this woman and her alone, he says to her, I'll be honest. Uh, you got me all, I'm, I'm all jammed up. You, ca you caught me. I'm caught. I'm tangled up in who you are. This seems like a weird place to have this conversation on the honeymoon, right? Just envision for just a minute. Don't make this weird or make me laugh. Honeymoon. He starts at the top of her head. He begins to work his way down. He gets to the neck. He gets to below the, below the breast. He stops and he says, you caught me, you know? Tell me your fears. What happened to you when you were young? What relationship baggage do you have? What are the things in life that, that scare you most? This is not an efficient time to be having this conversation. Agreed, men? It's a very efficient time, isn't it, ladies? When are you more alone than then? Never. When are you more um, vulnerable than there? Nowhere. When are you more focused than there? Nowhere. You see, I think what happens for us is we really get in this, married, married couples, we get in this place to where 
if the intimacy of our marriage begins to lose its spark or become something that we calendar in or that we rush through um, and we don't stop and we don't value one another. Listen, there's a reason it's called intimacy, right? It's not just an exchange of, of pleasure. This is intimacy. Where now we are sharing from the deepest parts of us with one another. I'll leave that. We'll come back. Challenge number two. This sucks, by the way. This week, uh, married people with your, with your lover, sit down. <laughs> and some of you have already done this because I've texted you this in the past and we've played this game, right? You're like, oh gosh, not again. Oh yes, again. We are doing it. I want you to do it because it's super cool. I want you to sit down with your spouse and I want you to look only in their eyes for three minutes. Do nothing else. Just look for three minutes in the eyes. I mean, don't just look for three minutes. Look in the eyes for three minutes. There is a really, really weird thing that happens at my house when we do this. Katie and I have done this multiple times, and it's a very strange, very strange thing. Her response is always, stop it. I don't like this. I feel like you're looking in my soul. That's what she says. I feel like you're looking in my soul. My response to this is just the opposite. When I stare at her, I remember things that I did not, that, I, that this is the only time I remember them. I remember conversations we had before we had kids. I remember conversations that, and plans that we made. I remember promises that we made each other. I go back to, um, I go back to all the things that I have screwed up inside of our marriage, and I go back to the things that, that I have, I've dropped the ball on, and I think about the things that we've done well in, that we've overcome. And I think about the years that were hard years that I didn't know if we were going to make it through. And I think about the years that are great. And I tell you what, anytime we do this, anytime we do this, and I don't have any shame in telling you this, I cry, I cry like a baby. Because I sit there and I stare at her and that gets me at the very core, the very core of me. I cry. It's not out of shame, it's not out of guilt. But it's out of this thing that, you know what, I think sometimes we forget how lonely we walk in this world, even when we're married. I think we forget how lonely we are, even in our marriages, and how little we do to connect with one another. And when we stop and we take that time, and we stare into the eyes of this other person, something, something really happens. So challenge number two for you, find your spouse set up, uh, get a little time before you go to bed, and three minutes. Just stare for three minutes. Now, you want to increase it to five? That's, uh, that's expert level. That's where I live, all right? That's where, if you want to join me on expert level, staring for five minutes, it's fine. Uh, most of the time, she falls asleep before then, but that's, uh, that's kind of the way it goes. But do it. I want to hear about it. So if you do it, I want to hear, like, here's what happened. It was great. It was stupid. I'm never doing it again. Whatever. So... 
some of you are like, you cried? Like, I don't want to do it. That sounds terrible. <laughs> that sounds terrible. I don't want to do it. Okay. Look at the result of what happens. Verse 10. This is cool. He says, you have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You've stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace, he says. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine, your fragrance, the fragrance of your perfume than any spice. Have you heard that line before? The answer is, yes, you have. You know when it, you know when it was? It was all the way back in chapter 1. Do you know who said it? She said it. Now he says it. Do you know what? There's a, there's a, wonderful, there's a wonderful sign. There's a wonderful uh, clue as to how somebody's marriage is doing, um, how they're doing as a family unit. It's when their language matches. It's when they begin to talk about the same things. They have the same kind of humor. They giggle about things the same. There's certain things that they just kind of look at each other. They don't even finish sentences all the time. Do you remember like, <laughs> I know exactly what I mean. That, there's this deal to where we just kind of overlap. There are things that I say to my wife that she said to me. There's things that she says that I said. And what happens is this blending of language. This blending of language is, is what happens. It's a very, very, very cool thing. It goes all the way back to chapter one. Chapter one, verse Two and three, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. That's what she says. And then he turns around and he says the exact same thing to her. How much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your, of your perfume than any spice? And then verse 11, your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb. My bride, milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like that of Lebanon. The rabbis, if you go into our Sunday school class downstairs and you begin to ask the kids, what is God like? They will say things like, God knows everything. Like, oh, good. Um, God is everywhere at once. Good. God is love. Good. God is kind. True. If you go to if you go to the synagogue and you sit down with a rabbi and a rabbi is teaching children, he comes in and he takes a piece of paper and he puts it on your desk and everybody gets a piece of paper. And then he says, "What is God like?" And the students all wait. And then the rabbi comes by with a piece of honeycomb that's dripping with honey. And he drops the honey on the piece of paper on every single desk. And he says, what is God like? And the students say, God is like honey. And then the rabbi says, take your finger and put it into the honey and then taste it. And so all the students will do it. And then they all look up like, okay. And then he says, that is what God is like. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you heard this first? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Here's the problem with our culture, this whole, this whole Western culture idea. We will spend so much time on your head and telling you all the right amount of information, and we will never engage your senses on any level whatsoever. 
And what the Hebrews did was just the opposite. Solomon says, your lips are like honeycomb. Honeycomb, milk and honey under your tongue is what he says about her kisses. Can I point something else out? He has been on his honeymoon starting in the evening all the way to the morning. This guy obviously talks a lot, doesn't he? Till the morning and he is just now kissing his bride just now. This is it right now. He moves, I don't know if I need to say this. I don't know if it's weird or not. I'll go ahead and say, slow yourself down, dudes, right? Slow yourself down. It's not a vending machine. Slow yourself down. Be tender, be gentle, care about every single element of who she is all the way across the board. Here's the payoff for doing such a thing. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb. My bride, milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your perfume is like that of Lebanon. He says, milk and honey are under your tongue. Do you remember what they said about Israel? Exodus 3 says, I'm taking you out of this land and I'm taking you to a land that is flowing what? With milk and honey. What kind of job did she have before? Do you remember? The Shulamite, she's working in a vineyard. So she is this um, kind of this farm gal. She would understand milk and honey would, like that's the top end of the greatest things that you could have if you were living this pastoral type of life. Pastoral is in pasturing uh, animals. Um, milk and honey, nourishment and sweetness. You don't have to have honey in your life. You do have to have the milk. Milk and honey. He says, your kisses are altogether satisfying and they sustain me. Now the rest of this is, I'll leave most up to your imagination because it's pretty, it's pretty cranked up. Okay? It's pretty cranked up. He's speaking to her. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. That means everything you can imagine it means. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates. This is an interesting, this is an interesting uh, phrase right here, verse 13. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits, henna, nard, saffron, calamus, cinnamon, every kind of incense, myrrh, aloes. This first part right here, your plants, that is the word weapons. Weapons. Your weapons, the things that you could use to absolutely destroy me. I think that's, I think that's beautiful. Your weapons, and then the next line is this, are an orchard. The only other phrase is, this is used two other times in scripture. Both times it's referring to um, a king's park. You could go down to, uh, um, down, here to the, down here to the park, you can see the nice new equipment that's down here. You can be like, oh, that's really nice equipment. Um, but a king's park would be something different. Solomon in Ecclesiastes says, I have built for myself homes and gardens and parks and orchards. If Solomon's building, it's going to be very, very good. What Solomon says about her body is this. Your weapons are like a king's park. This is like, 
the greatest world's a fun place ever in the entire world. This is really, this is funny. This is good. It's a good line. Verse 15. You are a garden, fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. You are a garden, fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. Verse 15, and we'll, we'll close here. We'll come, back to, we'll come back to this other one next week, but we'll close on this one. You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. Two things are in this verse. The first one is this. You are a garden fountain. Um, Psalm 89 talks about when... God, you are faithful. You are ever faithful. You take care of us. You, um, you are good to me. When the storm and the waves and the breakers are crashing in on top of me, it is you who comes in and stills the storm. It's the same word, billows. He says to her, not only are you innocent and you've got it together, but inside of you is just an absolute storm of passion inside of this lady. This is, a pretty, this is a pretty cool verse. The next one is this. You are also full of living water, like from the wells and streams from Lebanon. Check this out. The streams that come down from Lebanon, the rain and everything that accumulates, and here comes this fresh water down from here. This nice, cool, fresh water from the top of the mountain. But he also says, you are also like a well full of, and the literal Hebrew is this, living water. You are living water to me. I know anytime we sit down and we talk about marriage and the husband-wife relationship or purity or sexuality, anytime we sit down and we talk about any of that, many of us grow very, 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 very uh, cold and broken and uh, shamed we started this off reminding us, reminding that Jesus is a carpenter and he, wants to, he chooses to put us back together. And I want to close it by saying this. If your marriage is in trouble, do you know what the problem is? The problem is this, that you have at some point stopped drinking from the living water. That's the problem. That as a couple, you have both stopped drinking of the living water. Oh, do you mean the living water as in the Song of Solomon? I do not mean that at all. I'm not talking about your bedroom. I'm not talking about intimacy. What I'm talking about is what Jesus said about I am the living water. He, wants to ch he chooses to lay out his life so that he can renew us and he can put us back together. Yeah, but God probably doesn't care about my marriage. Yeah, yeah, he probably does. In fact, any time that, that God wants to get a picture across of how much he loves his children, what he always goes to is the image of marriage. Christ and the bride. Christ and the bride. And so I can tell you, he absolutely wants to fix your marriage. So if you're in that place and you bust it up and you, you're having a hard time finding, finding the answers, here's the thing you need to do. Ask yourself, am I, drinking, am I drinking deeply from the living water of Jesus Christ? And if I were, would that look differently in my marriage now? 
Would my marriage look different if I were drinking from the deep wells of Jesus Christ, the living water? Because I can promise you this. If you are, things will begin to turn. Things will begin to turn. Um, we'll close there. We'll come back to it next week. So It's good to see your faces. I was sitting around staring at 260 high school kids all week long, and man, they're dumb. <laughs> they were very, very cool, very cool kids. I enjoyed them, and it was, it was great. It was great. So uh, I will bring something I want to show you. Uh, there was a kid who came up to me, and he said, I'm an artist, and I, I drew a picture, uh, and I want to show it to you. And I said, oh, okay. I don't, I don't think I've got it in here. I don't think I've got it in here. No, I don't have it in here. Uh, but I'll bring it. I'll show. I'll get a picture and put it on the deal. It's disturbingly accurate. This, it's a picture of me that he drew while I was preaching. It's disturbingly accurate um, to the point I was like, that's very, very good. I wish you were a better artist and, and you know, used your imagination a little bit more than you, you know. I don't want you to be that right, you know. That's... It's a very big forehead you drew <laughs> on that man. Thank you. I wish you were worse at this, you know. So I need to, I'll bring it to you and show it to you at some point. So let me pray and we'll get out of here. God, we love you and we thank you for everything that you've done for us. We thank you for this passage. We ask that you will uh, continue to work in our hearts, in our minds, um, in our souls, in our marriages. God, uh, convict us. Lord, uh, Break up the break up the the calcium the calcium deposits that that have that have settled on our on our on our souls and on our, our hearts and on those muscles we we have to flex to dig in and to be complementary and to be passionate and to be poetic and to love one another. I pray that you will be with us, God. We ask that uh, you will bless this church, but that we can be a church that's full of strong marriages and raises good families, that we can be um, healthy and helpful uh, to a broken community. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful day.